Want to have safe kinky sex? Make sure you make your way over to AdamEve.com. Adam and Eve has over 12 million satisfied customers worldwide. Everything from the newest vibrators to classic movies. When you're on AdamEve.com, make sure to enter in the promo code HUSH50. That's H-U-S-H-5-0 to get 50% off almost any one item and free shipping. Do I need to say that again? Free shipping. Make sure you have your kinky safe sex needs satisfied by visiting AdamEve.com. Welcome to Hush, the podcast guaranteed to give you a load of fun. And with that being said, let's slide into the episode. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Volume 50 of Hush. My name is Kim, and I have my co-host with me. Chris. And we're here to bring you the shit you love to hear. So, again, welcome to Hush. Ms. Janelle Marie Pierce. She is the executive director of the STD Project and the founder of the Herpes Activist Network, just to name a few titles. Do you want to throw anything else out there in the introduction about yourself? Yes. Um, I'm also, I should full disclosure, I'm also the spokesperson for PositiveSingles.com, which is a site for dating with STIs and STDs. And I wear a couple of other hats, and um, folks can find some of my writing and, and media and press and things like that on a, different, a lot of different websites and publications. But yeah, my primary work is the STD Project Positive Singles and the Herpes Activist Network. Very awesome. Mm-hmm. We want to go ahead and open up. Okay, so we're going to get personal. We do want to go ahead and talk about if you can take us back to the moment that you were diagnosed with herpes. Sure. So that was literally 20 years ago, two decades ago, which seems crazy to me because I don't feel like, I, they always say you're as old as you feel, and I really don't feel like it's been two actual decades since I was diagnosed. But I was diagnosed fairly young. I was 16 years old. I'm 36 now. And um, I was diagnosed with my family practitioner. I had what is kind of considered a typical first outbreak. So I do get active outbreaks, but the large majority of people who have herpes don't actually have any signs or symptoms, so they don't know that they have it. But anyway, so I do actually get outbreaks. So I had, and the first outbreak is oftentimes the worst. It's usually the worst for anyone who actually does get active outbreaks because your immune system hasn't had a chance to start combating the virus and at least trying to suppress it, and so you haven't built up antibodies. So um, mine was pretty bad. It was very uncomfortable, and I finally got up the nerve to tell my mom because I was worried enough, like, something is wrong, this isn't going away, this, this mm. isn't looking great, so on and so forth. And she took one look, I showed it to her, it was on my vulva, and she was like, okay, we need to go to the doctor, I'll make an appointment for you today. And I live in a small rural town outside of a fairly big city, the second largest city in Michigan, and um, which is a conservative area of the country in, in Grand Rapids, Michigan, right outside of that city. And we went to our family practitioner, which was right in the country. Like I grew up on a, on a hobby farm with horses and sheep and such and whatever. So like very Midwest, small town America. And um, the doctor took one look, walked out of the room, didn't say anything, and then came back a few minutes later and said, uh, what you have is genital herpes, and it's the worst case of herpes I've ever seen. It gave me a prescription for Valchex, and that was it. Nothing more, no further information, no additional like statistics about how common it is, no factual information about, I mean, even the outbreak itself telling me that it was the worst case he'd ever seen, which was like massively, on top of just a traumatic diagnosis of something super taboo and stigmatized, I thought, of all people who may understand it would be a practitioner, and now this practitioner is saying it's the worst. So all the things that like came rushing into my mind about what I thought at 16 years old of people who have herpes or any STI was like, you're a slut, you're a whore, you're trash, you're damaged with all these things. And then for him to say, hey, you have the worst case I've ever seen. Now I'm like, in my head, I was like, I'm the dirtiest, the sluttiest, the whoriest, you know, like mm-hmm. all these things. It just made it so much worse. It was awful. It was absolutely 100% traumatic. I cried all the way home. 
Oh, wow. Sorry. Yeah, but that's actually one of the reasons why we created the podcast, too, was to break down a lot of stigmas or stereotypes. See, I grew up in a pretty conservative family where sex was taboo, everything about it, you know. And then we had a religious background, so it wasn't something that was easily spoken with. With my mom, I could, but further family members, that was just off limits. So I can only imagine you being 16 at the time, not knowing anything about this, and then it's just feeling like a big burden on your shoulders. Um, did you research more about it immediately? No, at the time, and I came from a really similar background, so that's kind of, that's interesting, the parallel. My, I could talk about sex with my mom, and my mom had like a birds and bees conversation. When I first got my period, she sat me down at the kitchen table and, um, and showed me what a tampon does inside your body. So she took a tampon and she put it in a glass of water so you could see that it's it, it taking on the fluid and expanding. And she talked about, you know, like you don't have to use tampons because this is um, one option or you can continue to use pads. You know, so she tried to very, be very open and frank and things with me. But of course, I was, because the rest of my background, um, I was going to Bible school and um, youth group and, and the whole rest of my family was fairly conservative and didn't talk about these things very openly. I just, yeah, I absolutely didn't know a whole lot about it. didn't feel that comfortable with it in general. And um, so, but to answer your question, I didn't do, no, I didn't do really any research at all at that point in time. I just kind of took what, the, what little information I was given and thought, okay, now this is me. You know, I'm apparently damaged goods. I'm being punished by God. And this is the result of my bad behavior, and I'm a bad, naughty girl, and this is what happens when you have sex outside of marriage. And I mean, I just had all these horrible misconceptions and things that just don't add up and are really problematic and harmful and, and are shame-induced, shame or I guess perpetuated by shame, and really like created by the intention behind shame and, and just shame you into actually even being autonomous and empowered and sexually healthy and things like that. So yeah, I didn't. I didn't know until a long time after that I started doing some additional research. Like, wait a minute. And it was when I finally came to the conclusion I'd had so many positive experiences, like relationships-wise. I hadn't had partners who didn't, who cared and who wanted to say, like, no to engaging in activities with me. And I was just doing well in my, like, personal and professional life. And I thought, this, I don't think these things about myself. Like, society and culture says I'm a slutty whore, but I really don't believe that. So why can't I reconcile these two ideas and these concepts, the stigma, you know, about STIs and STDs and people with herpes in particular, it's the butt of all jokes. So it wasn't until a long time afterwards. That's kind of why I created the STD project and doing the work I'm doing now and, um, and have expanded that is because I wanted to create a resource that really provided that kind of gray area and that topic and conversation and create a safe space so that people didn't take nearly as long to find resources and information as I did. So when you, like you said, when you first um, got diagnosed with it, did you know of anyone else, like a friend or family that actually, you know, went through this same kind of scenario that you went through? That's such a good question. The only person I'd ever heard of at the time who had herpes there was a friend of mine who was like my best friend at that point in time. Mm. At 16, I was a junior in high school, so I was on the younger age of um, of the high or my class. Anyway, so junior in high school, like a year prior, maybe six months or so, my friend lived in the trailer park, and the gal across the way from her supposedly had herpes, and mm. that's what she told me anyways. And she was like a year or two older than us, and she said, "Oh yeah, she she's had sex with everybody in the trailer park, and that's why she has herpes, and oh, wow. she's nasty." I mean, this friend, which is a horrible thing to say, and it's a horrible like information to spread in the way in which it was shared. And of course, we're two sixteen-year-olds, and so I'm just taking her word for it, like, "Oh, she knows," and "Oh, that's awful," and "Must be really bad," and "She mm. must be really trashy," and you know, whatever. And so I did, I, I just had this, I had this perception that only certain kinds of people, certain classes of people, these really horrible, horrible ideas, right? I really mm. believed them to be factual. And in that ignorance is what kind of kept me in that traumatized state, in that very, like, I felt like it was the dirtiest, darkest secret. And it, it like slowed me down from working past that for a long, long time. And yeah, that was the only information that I really knew. I mean, I knew of STIs because I had sex ed and abstinence only been yeah. sex ed in school. So I knew they existed, but in my head it was like only certain kinds of people. And I still get, every once in a while, like I'll be sitting down with, at the bar, 
bar with my husband and him and I'll start a conversation with some random folk sitting next to us and mm. they'll say like, you know, what do you do for a living? And then I'll start telling what I do and I get this all over and over and over again, people saying like, oh, you don't look like somebody would have an STD. And I'm like, what does wow, that mean? Oh, yeah. Someone with an STD look like, you know, like how would you yeah. even know? STDs don't care and they don't discriminate. The vast majority of sexually active people contract an STI, STD at some point. Most don't know it and most don't know that number and they're aware of that. But like, yeah, that, and, and, and at 16 years old, I really thought that. I thought, well, oh, I'm not having sex with anybody who's like, you know, who's got an STD. Like, I don't mm-hmm. know. Their genitals will have to be like on fire or something, you know, something will alert me to the fact, you know, and it's like, that's, that's largely not the case. People usually, if they actually have some sort of like outbreak or sign or symptom, they're not having sex anyway because it's uncomfortable. It's, they're transmitted when there are no signs or symptoms, no noticeable ones. That's more often the situation. Yeah, actually, when I was um, at the University of Arizona, that's where I got my degree from, I actually took a course about sex and AIDS in the 21st century, and it was just amazing to see that you can go years you know, before you find out that you have HIV or AIDS down the line, because there's no symptoms that are noticeable. And they just go over the crazy statistics, like maybe five, 10 years from now, you'll find out that you have it. And I think that's yeah. just amazing. And that... that's 100% the case. Mm-hmm. And it blows your mind because everybody assumes like, I don't know if you saw that horrible internet name blue ball, like a few years back. And it was, it was like this horrible picture of a vulva that it was like, seriously diseased and I don't even know what infection like it was just it was it was so over exaggerated and that's what people assume like it's going to be those really bad sex ed slides like their whole genitals are going to be blowing up and like falling off and I mean that there are some bad um some bad symptoms and you can have a very severe reaction to an infection but usually that happens in someone who already has another infection or another ailment mm-hmm. or ailment or illness like if they're immunocompromised they've got something else going on that's making it so their immune system can't suppress or can't do anything to help them and so the large large majority of people have zero signs and symptoms like actually what we say now as, as sexual health educators across and at the STD projects as well is that the most common symptom of all STIs is zero is nothing no symptom whatsoever and that's the, and that's the very factual like you, you may contract an STI your body may clear the STI and you may never even know that you had it you may have transmitted it to someone else in that time period but you may actually have no clue that you even ever had an infection I mean that's the majority of all cases and that's the same thing even with herpes like like I said at the right from the get-go, like, I do get active outbreaks, and so I'm on suppressive medication, so I don't get them as often, and so they're not as severe when I get them, but a lot of people who I work with, other activists and things, have herpes, and they don't get outbreaks, I mean, they've only had, like, maybe one in their entire five years they've had the infection, some people never get it at all, and they just find out through a test, so there's just no, no 100% certain way of knowing how your body is going to interact, and how the virus and or bacteria or parasite, depending on what kind of infection we're talking about, how that's all going to yeah, I mean, is is like I said, it stinks. Is like I said, how you were you were saying how you and your husband would go out and you were, you don't look like someone who would have an STD. That's such a poor conception because I mean, I'm pretty sure it's anything like where people say, you know, HIV or AIDS. It's like they're automatically well. I guess they're going to be gone in the next two years or so. Um, one of my one of my best friends, both of his parents were actually diagnosed with uh, HIV. And um, this was back in, I believe, 92. And they were told that they had like three years to live. And here we are 2019 and they're still kicking. So it's 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 things like that. It's like we're just such a bad conception because it's like when he tells people, they're like, well, how are they still alive type of deal? Like it's automatic, you know, death sentence. It's like, no, they're just very resilient, you know, people. And then, you know, they think of, they don't they don't look at themselves as oh we're hiv so we have one foot in the ground it's like you know we accept it and we go on with our lives as if nothing you know is bothering them and i think that's the way that a lot of people who are afraid to say you know hey i have an std or anything like that that's how they should live their life is you know find those people to talk to and you know you know don't don't think of it as you're a dirty person or you know no one is ever going to want you that's never the case you just need to be, you know, positive about it. And, you know, like I said, I would think that, you know, a lot of people should do like what you're doing and, you know, spread that awareness 
you know, to let people know, like, hey, you know, it's it's not what you think it is, you know, based off of, like, memes or anything like that. So. Oh, for sure. And that's, that's what it's going to take. I mean, we've got a long way to go in terms of education and reducing the stigma. And every little conversation like this helps. Right now, it's not truly safe for everybody to share their status publicly like I do. Like, mm-hmm. I, I, I enjoy a lot of privileges in... So that's why I'm able to do it and still feel safe and still, still still feel supported and things. But depending on which community you're part of, depending on what your background is, what your your network is, your your social circles, your profession, and things like that, it just isn't always or easy and mm-hmm. or safe for folks to be able to share their status in this kind of way. But the same thing with HIV, like that has there, we've done a lot to reduce misinformation and to improve education around like you can actually be diagnosed live a full normal lifespan as long as you have access to the resources to treat your infection right Mm -hmm. so some of it is getting it diagnosed right away and the sooner that you get it diagnosed and the faster you get on treatment um, the better the outcome of course and then that's why testing is important but even so even if it's been five years and you contracted the infection five years ago and you're only finding out just now getting on the um, good resources if you have like healthcare and insurance and, and access again to those resources then you could absolutely have you can one have an undetectable status and not transmit it to other people that's what everybody assumes like you know as soon as I say yeah I've heard people like well what does your husband think like do you have sex and like what, do you have to use condoms all the time I mean there's all these questions about like what does that mean and how does it impact your sex life and how does it impact your relationships and are people scared and worried and well isn't your husband worried of getting it and you know all of that stuff and it's like yeah there's there's some stuff that actually is practical and relevant and I understand the curiosity but it's really not as scary as it seems I mean it's just one of those things that like it's not ideal I mean nobody's signing up for any new infection I don't want a new infection either I don't want a cold I don't want a flu I mean I want to be as healthy as possible but some Mm -hmm. of these things just happen and it's not the end of the world that's very true very true. How did you find the courage to go public with it? That took a lot of time for me. I was 29, so that was seven years ago that I've been doing this work now. And um, at the time, I was in a really good relationship. Um, my partner was super supportive. It was a long-term monogamous relationship. And we were. I was doing really well professionally. I was in accounting working for as an analyst for a healthcare, for Stryker Healthcare, for their healthcare division. And... Um, I had kind of gotten to a point in terms of my friends and family. I had had a good and solid and very, like, a lot of long-term friendships and really good, strong family dynamics and relationships with my parents and things like that to where I was just in a a place that I felt really secure and, um, like I said, too, relationship-wise and whatever. So I finally was like, I feel really good about who I am and what I'm doing and where I've come and the lessons that I've learned thus far at just a young 29 years old. And I thought that, you know, I feel like I'm ready to share this. And there's nothing at this point, at that point, at 29 years old at least, that I thought I could hear that anyone could say that would shock me or hurt me or surprise me about herpes. And I got to the point where instead of having to be worried that somebody may eventually use it against me or somebody who had found out, because that first friend, that first friend who I was telling you about earlier in the conversation who lived in the trailer park and she was telling me about the girl across the way who had herpes, she ended up telling a whole bunch of people in my high school that I had herpes, even oh. though I told her in confidence. I mean, she wasn't a good friend. And, mm. of course, like, teenagers can be pretty awful and, like, the rumor mill and everything. I mean, it just it just happens. These kinds of awful things doesn't make it okay. But, like, this is just a – I think it's one of those horrible high school experiences that happens to darn near everybody of, like, just awful things getting said and bullying and whatever. Yeah. But anyways, so that had happened. And I'd gotten to a point at 29 where I was like, I no longer want to be worried or afraid that somebody's going to tell someone, somebody's going to find out, and what are they going to think of me? It was like, you know, you're only as thick as your secrets, they say, and I felt like I didn't want it to be a skeleton in my closet anymore. And I thought, if I if I put it out there, then nobody could use it against me anymore because I was owning it, I was sharing my experience and saying, this is part of my story, it's not all of me, it's not my identity, it's not, but it helps to cultivate and it changed my perspective or at least it 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 did pepper my perspective it did in encourage encourage my perspective in a way that 
wouldn't have happened had I not have contracted it. So that I wanted to share all that and say, like, all right, here it is, and I'm just going to come out with it and tell everybody, and then at this point, there's nothing else you can do or say because I'm already saying it, essentially. So I wanted to take the power back, I guess, is the shortest way to answer that. And how exactly did you feel as soon as you you got it out there? Like, as soon as you were like, you know what? It's no longer, this is what it is. How did you personally feel? I was a little petrified and and excited at the same time. So I quit my career at the time when I launched the STD project. And for a couple of months leading up to quitting and putting in my notice, I had been vague booking. So I'd been posting on Facebook, like, hey, guys, I'm going to do something really crazy. And I'm about to launch this giant project. And I can't wait to share it with you. And I'll tell you about it really soon. So I kept making all of these posts. And mm-hmm. I had just been in, I was really inspired by, um, I was just a part of the Vagina Monologues. I had done two monologues as part of my alma mater, where I graduated from college from. They put on the Vagina Monologues, and then I went back and, and performed with them and one of the gals in the vagina monologues who I performed alongside of she did a spoken word poem at the beginning of the vagina monologues and she was talking about abuse that had happened to her as a child and she wanted to do she kind of was talking around the same lines like she wanted to tell the story in order to take the power back from her abuser because it didn't she was going to she was going to live and survive and thrive despite and it wasn't it did not benefit her, but she was going to thrive and live and, and be and be productive and be an amazing person despite what had happened. And so she wanted to share that. And I I was so inspired by her and her authenticity and her in her just boldness. And I thought it was courageous and beautiful and all of that. And I thought, you know what? I need to do that too. I'm ready. I'm finally at this point. And so that was in February, early February. And so I was like, all right. I'm thinking about doing this. And I told my partner at the time, I said, I think I want to start a big advocacy campaign. I want to start a website, blah, blah, blah. And he was on board. He was like, 100%, I think that's a cool idea. You do it, you go. So I started posting about it and like, okay, guys, I've got a huge announcement, dot, dot, dot. And everyone hates it when you do that on Facebook. Oh, yeah. Like, oh, gosh. Like, oh, my gosh, stop. Facebook. Why'd you even post like, that? Yeah. I guess, but somebody's got to do it. So might as well be me was kind of my mentality about it. 
That's yeah. very awesome to see you take that empowerment from this situation. You know, like the way Chris mentioned earlier, as soon as somebody hears they have an STD, they automatically think the worst. Like either it's a death sentence, depending on which STD it is, or like the way you said it as well, like, well, you're no good anymore. So it's good to see the empowerment and ha the impact that you've made with this. Like that really, that to me, I feel like if there's anything in life that you should leave with, you know, it's that impact. And speaking on that, I wanted to ask you personally, has anybody actually thanked you for making the journey easier for them? Yes. Oh, I get that all the time. I mean, truly, that, and that sounds like an exaggeration, but I mean, it's, it's not at all. There are so many people who become advocates as a result of seeing this. Um, in 2014, I was in, I'm not 14 or 15, I was in Cosmo, and they flew me out to New York and did a whole STI spread and so did like photos and put us up in a hotel. It was really cool. It seemed super fancy and kind of out of this world kind of situation, you know. And, um, and then there were people who saw that article and then became advocates and public advocates. There are people who just not necessarily gone public with their status, but who have told a partner or a friend or a family member and have, who've started support groups. I mean, all of that was, yes. Yeah, slowly snowballing. I mean, we've, like I said, we've got a long ways to go and I don't want to overshoot my reach or like my influence, but I, I absolutely think even if it's one person, I mean, truly it has been beneficial and worthwhile to even help one person. And even one person once a week, I mean, is amazing and impactful. And I get a message at least every day. And that's the thing too, is I didn't expect to grow as much or didn't think I had it as far to go, even when I launched, because that was seven years ago. And there's even hearing everyone else's stories has just helped me feel stronger and more confident in the work I'm doing. And all of it has been so uplifting and empowering to know, like, because it was, again, I, I knew in my head, according to statistics, and as much as I researched and was reading online at that point in time at 29, I knew in my head I wasn't alone. But I still didn't know a whole lot of people who had, like personally, who had any sort of experience along the same lines. And it was mm. just so nuts. Like when I launched and everybody's sending me these messages. And I mean, and it was, it would, it would never fail. Somebody would reach out and be like, Janelle, like, hey, we should meet up for a beer. I haven't seen you in a long time. And let's meet up. Do you want to? And I'd be like, sure. And it'd be kind of like out of the blue. Like, I, I literally have not seen this person in 10 years since high school. Well, but okay, I mean, sure, they're offering to buy me a beer, like, whatever. I'm not gonna <laughs> yeah, take that down. Like, I'll take like that too. Down. Yep. So, all right, sure, I'll, I'll, I'll take you up on that. Why not? And then I'd sit down with them, we'd order a beer, and then and then it, they would tell me the same thing every single time. It'd be a story about an STI. Every once in a while, it'd be a story about something else that was sexual health related. But most of the time, it was about STIs, and they'd always start off with, like, hey, I've been following the work you're doing, and I think it's great. And it's inspired me, and I just wanted to tell you the story, and I've never told anybody. I mean, it's just, it just blew my mind, and it still happens. It continues to. Like, my, my family now calls me the STD whisperer. Like, anytime <laughs> you see any, like, articles or anyone have a question about anything, you know, like, recently they said there was a herpes scare at Coachella, which didn't happen. But I got, like, three or four messages that, that very day from acquaintances online and, and friends and family members and stuff saying, like, hey, I thought of you and tell me the details and you're the one who's going to know about this. And so, I mean, that's good, like, to know that I can be one of those people that folks view as, like, I'm not going to judge them or shame them or make mm -hmm. them feel bad about something they're already concerned about. I mean, people will ask me questions about just sex stuff that I'm not even necessarily an expert in, like, hey, how do you think I, I really want to try bop butt sex? Like, how do you think I should approach it? And what's the best way to do this? And, of course, because I work alongside a lot of sexual health educators, like, I know some tips and tricks and some of the basic info. So I could I can point people in the right direction, but I'm not even necessarily an expert, and they're just coming with me, like, with a kink or a fetish or an interest. And, um, and I think it's because they recognize, like, okay, well, she's talking about this. She's going to be a person who understands and is empathetic and is going to at least not look at me like I'm totally crazy for just being curious and exploring. And I love that. I mean, that in and of itself is, so, is worth it all day, every day. Do people come to you personally as well to ask more about herpes itself? Like, you know, there's the misconceptions of how it's spread. Do people go and ask you informative stuff like that? Like, can you tell me how I contracted or what I do to prevent prevent this? Do you have those types of conversations? Oh, yeah, especially because even, definitely, even the, like, even a lot of the resources 
online are really factual and sterile and clinical, and those are necessary and helpful, like about symptoms and testing and treatment and such. But the, one of the number one questions is like, well, how do I know who I got it from? Or how do I know if, does that mean my partner cheated? And unfortunately, with any STI, there's really almost no way to know for sure. I mean, in mm-hmm. every situation is different, but if you've had more than one partner, it's really hard to know for sure because you may not have had signs or symptoms. You may have had the infection for a long time. It doesn't necessarily mean your partner cheated. Even if you got tested before you engaged in activities with that new partner, you may have just recently have contracted an infection. It may have been a false negative. I mean, there's so many factors. So I do, I do like individual consultations or I'll end up sitting and kind of delving out the details because each infection, it depends on like which activity occurred, what infection are we talking about? They're all transmitted in a little bit of different ways. And I mean, all of that, there's such nuance that each individual circumstance, um, you know, can, can vote a different answer essentially. So yeah, so I, I end up answering a lot of those one-on-one questions as well. As for the STD project itself, um, what future up, well, what upcoming events do you have or projects that you want to do? What direction do you want to move that in? So we just relaunched and kind of reinvigorated our podcast and our YouTube channel. So we're trying to make sure that we're accessible on a lot of different um, on a lot of different social media and such. For the STD project in particular, though. We're about ready to complete. We've done over 300 interviews over the last seven years with people who have STI. So we're about ready to put out all of that data mm-hmm. and break it down so that if somebody's recently diagnosed and they're looking for relatable stories, maybe they were recently diagnosed with genital HSV-1 and they are in their younger 20s. And so they want to read about, and maybe they're female identifying. And so they want to read about other female identifying young 20s who just recently contracted HSV-1 and what their perspective is, how they viewed it and how they move forward or what if they didn't move forward and why. So we're going to kind of break it down narrow narrow it down so people can really find the voices and the tone and things that resonate with them. So we're working on that. Then we're launching 10 additional websites that are all based on additional STIs, and then we're going to delve into each of those individual STIs as well. So we're busy. But then side note is in October, we launched the Herpes Activist Network. So October is Herpes Awareness Month, and um, or Herpes Awareness Day. Sorry, I misspoke. So um, in October, anyways, we launched it's Herpes Awareness Month, and then we also just had a Herpes Awareness Day. That's why I'm getting the two confused. So okay. once every six months, we do something kind of awareness-wise around herpes. So Herpes Awareness Month is October, and alongside Herpes Awareness Month, we launched the Herpes Activist Network. And so that stands for Herpes Activist Networking to Dismantle Stigma. And there are 28 activists now who have herpes who are talking about their status. They all come from different backgrounds. Some are YouTubers, some are doctors, some are sexual health educators, some um, hold public uh, support groups. I mean, it just all depends. We all kind of come from totally different unique backgrounds and whatnot. And so we're linking this all together so that people can find individuals who are talking about this regularly, find those support and those resources and things like that, like I would have loved when I was 16 years old. And um, yeah, so we're working on a few projects together, which are kind of exciting and I'm I'm looking forward to, but we're getting a lot of momentum. And so I think we're just going to keep going along those lines, keep providing resources, both for providers, so for people who are diagnosing and like at the forefront, you know, so they're not necessarily shaming their patients. Doing the STD project, we've done all these interviews that I mentioned, and they're anonymous interviews, so anyone can participate and they don't have to share their any kind of identifying information. Since we've done that, and since because I also share my interview on the STD project, so that people kind of get an idea and how they could go along telling their story if they want. In my story, I talk about that, and I've had other people, other participants, come to me and say, "My doctor told me it was the worst case they had ever seen." Literally, those words verbatim came out of other practitioners' mouths from people across the country in totally different areas of the country, different mm-hmm. like dynamics, communities, and whatever. And I'm like, I cannot believe that my, I, in my mind, I thought I was this original snowflake. Like, and that's of course one of the things you don't want to be an original snowflake about. But I really did think that this has got to be a one-off experience. I mean, this is so you 
couldn't make this stuff up if you tried. You know, somebody's saying it's the worst case of herpes I've ever seen. You think, like, no, I'm not in, like, sub-Saharan Africa. You know, I'm not in a war-torn, impoverished, third-world country. Like, why is this the worst case you've ever seen? That's atrocious. And there are other people who've, who've been diagnosed by, like, a general practitioner, and their practitioner has said the same thing to them. So I'm like, we really need mm. to do more work providing resources for providers so that they can point people in the right direction and give people the support so that they don't end up putting other people at risk and they don't end up making decisions that are not great for them, you know, whatever. I mean, all of it. So there's, there's so much work to be done, but I'm excited because, um, because we are making headway. Like, you know, each conversation is beneficial. No, and there, I mean, there are good practitioners, too, who are really amazing as well. So, I mean, I definitely want to, like, a nod in that direction because not everybody has that response. But, I mean, it does. It kind of blows your mind. Like, I can't even believe. Like, what, how, 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 how does that serve anyone when you say, when you make those statements? Like, what does that achieve? What is the intended outcome? Oh, and the only thing, the only answer that I keep coming back to is they wanted to shame me. Like, don't ever have sex again. You're going to infect everybody. Mm-hmm. You have the worst case of herpes. You know, like that to me is the only viable solution or reason why you would use that language and you would approach a patient in that kind of way. What's sad about that is that didn't stop me from engaging in sexual activities. However, it did prohibit me, and it's not anyone's fault necessarily because I'm going to take ownership for this, but it did stop me from doing my full disclosure and letting people know before putting them at risk. There was a time in my life when I was initially engaging in sexual activities for the first time again after getting diagnosed that I didn't disclose to all of my partners until after the fact. Like it was almost like I'd ask for forgiveness, not permission. And it was mostly because I was petrified about this and I had no idea how to have the conversation, what was a practical way of going about it. Even when I finally did have the conversation and disclose, I was like an emotional mess, crying all over the place, like trauma left and right and shame and everything. And it just doesn't have to be that way. And that's also, again, one more reason why I was like, I need to talk about this because it's not, it wasn't the ethical thing to do. And I'm not proud of that behavior, but I'm like, it can't ever change. And I know if I did this and I don't think I'm a horrible person, there has to be other people who are having a hard time having this conversation and or who are not having the conversation and who aren't just bad as a whole. They're not bad apples. They're not bad people. They're just doing things that aren't sexually healthy or they aren't um, full consensual and, and that kind of thing. So we need to help people. Like, if we don't talk about the problem, we can't fix it. If we don't acknowledge that it exists, it's never going to get any better. People are going to continue to get diagnosed and not tell people about it and put people at risk without them being consenting to that risk. I mean, all of that. So, yeah, and, and that and that was part and parcel. You know, like my first experience was really bad and shameful. My friend was awful too at the time. I mean, so I had had kind of a, a really bad scenario, and it led me to not making really good decisions for myself and or for others. And like full circle, now I feel way more way better about that. And now I'm like, all right, I need to own the crappy things that I did, and putting people at risk and potentially infecting other people was horrible. It was absolutely atrocious, but it needs to be fixed, and I need to make sure that I can help other people to not have to feel that way, that guilt or shame. Yeah, that that makes sense. Um, cause like tying back to what you were just covering, how important is it for you know to inform you know past partners, current partners, and you know of course if you continue to be you know sexually active in the future, why is that so extremely important for people to make sure that they they communicate that clearly with their current partner? It's it's the most ethical thing to do. Is probably the simplest answer to that question. That's why it's important because it's the most ethical thing to do. And and this is not a not coming from a judgmental standpoint. It's just the hierarchies of ethics. And you want to make sure that if you're engaging with someone, they're 100% consenting to that activity. And if you're not disclosing your status that could potentially impact their health, their physical health, their sexual health, then they cannot 100% consent to that activity. So making sure that people are 100% yeses and full-on aware of the risk that they're engaging in. And I mean, for me, once I even did start disclosing in advance, I never had any no's. Now, that's not everyone's experience. Like, some people do experience rejection once they disclose, and that's totally understandable, and it's okay. It's everyone's prerogative to make that decision for themselves, like Mm -hmm. if they're willing to accept that risk. 
But I largely did not. I mean, I didn't have that experience at all. And I hear over and over and over again from people who come and do these interviews saying, like, the vast majority of people don't really care that much once you fully inform them. And so I think that it also helps to build intimacy. Having that discussion is awkward, is uncomfortable, as scary as it is, right? Because mm-hmm. we're not having these discussions regularly with our partners. We're not talking about our sex health. We're not talking about our bodies, our our, our pleasures, our no's, our boundaries. We're not having any of that kind of discussion. It's just not encouraged and taught in a way that makes us all feel like we're able to advocate for ourselves. So it is very uncomfortable initially when you first start doing it, and even for a while thereafter. But it's like even even acknowledging that, right? Well, amongst mm-hmm. the new partner partners saying, like, this is awkward for me, and I don't really know how, how to go about this, but here's what I want to talk about. Even that in and of itself, sharing your insecurities and sharing things that you're not 100% confident about, that in and of itself builds intimacy and trust and helps establish a relationship and it opens up the conversation for then that additional partner partners to also share something that they feel insecure and uncomfortable about. So it's really this like amazing two, three, multiple way street that's beautiful, but we just don't look at it and we're not talking about it that way. I just also wanted to mention as well that uh, it's even hard for people to share the the past experiences past experiences they've had like number of sexual partners a lot of people just don't want to talk about that so I can only imagine taking a step further and having you know an STD talk with somebody so that's very courageous uh, we did notice that you are happily married congratulations by the way um, we wanted to ask you how was that talk with your husband when you met him? Was it easier at that point for you or was that a challenge? For sure, it was a lot easier. And actually, I mean, here's what's kind of interesting about that. And I don't think, um, I 100% do not think that anybody is required to share the number of partners or all of their sexual experiences with anyone. I I don't think that's anybody's right or anybody has a right to that information. Even if you are married or in a long-term committed relationship, does not matter. I think it's up to each individual person to decide like how much they want to disclose. The only thing that you need to disclose to be fully ethical is if you have a current STI status. But you don't, if you say you've had a curable STI, like I've also had scabies and HPV, so I've had at least three STIs that I'm aware of, like who admits to that out loud, right? But still, um, that doesn't, I wouldn't necessarily have to share that because they're not something that would be relevant to our relationship or at least in terms of their risk, like they wouldn't be at risk for that. Now, if I was having like an intimate conversation and I was just talking about like maybe why I care about sexual health or why I care about testing or maybe why I care about using barriers or whatever it is, I may use that as context, like here's why because of this experience, but you, I don't think anyone's required to necessarily share it. It's only the current statuses. And so like for, so then to, like, to go to your true question, with my husband, at the time I was already doing the STD project work, and this is what blows my mind too, like this is kind of cute because, so I, when I first launched the STD project, I was in a long-term relationship, and he was super supportive of me doing this and doing this work publicly and whatever, like really amazing in that, in that regard. But then we broke up, and so now for the first time, I was single as this public STI advocate, and I thought, oh goodness, like there is not going to be a single soul. I mean, yes, a lot of people have been totally 100% cool with me having herpes, but the fact that not only do I have herpes, but now I'm talking about it all day, every day, all the time, all over social media, like I am the STI lady, and so I thought, like, who is going to be on board with it? It's going to have to be somebody who's very confident and strong and, like, whatever. I got hit on left and right. I had so many people reaching out to me, like, let's hook up, let's date, like, I want to take you out, I love what you're doing, and it would lead with that. Like, a lot of times it would be like, I love the work you're doing, I think you're so amazing and inspiring, you know, what do you want, you want to go for a beer or whatever, and it would always just, and I was like blown away, and, and I loved it, I thought, that's wonderful, and that's, that's indicative, I think we don't even give people the amount of credit that they're due, and because of our, sometimes it's just culture that really makes us think everybody is bad, and social media, and, and sometimes cross and stuff like that makes us think that everybody is just crap heads and like really bad people, and cruel and things, but I was, I was so massively impressed, and like, yay, people love this, and are inspired by it. And that got me even more interested just being single and ready to mingle alone and by itself. And so he 
he at the time reached out to me. I was doing a, um, I was following a sexologist of mine. She was doing 88 days. So I decided to, and she was with her, with doing it with her husband. And when I got single, I was like, I still want to do these 88 dates, but I'm going to date myself. So I'm going to call it master dating. And I'm going to show people, like, you can still, you don't have to be defined by a partnership or relationship. Like, you don't have to be identified by that. You're still an autonomous, strong, mm-hmm. amazing individual by yourself. You have lots to offer. You can still enjoy your time. Like, all of it. So I was doing that. And my husband reached out to me at the time and said, I love what you're doing. And I follow your work. And like, you know, whatever, and we just started the conversation from Facebook, and it went from there, and that was, and he, so he totally knew my status, he knew about the work that I was doing, and that, like, that thought, he thought it was amazing, and beautiful, and wonderful, and like, that also attracted him to me, so it was, it was actually, actually really positive. Very awesome, well, congratulations again. Uh, we wanted to ask you, was there any words of advice that you have for anyone that was recently diagnosed with the STD or anybody just looking for information about it? Yeah, that's a really good question. I would say be patient with yourself and um, it's okay to feel crappy. I think um, a lot of our social media, everybody's always showing their highlight reels and their their whole like, you know, hashtag blessed, everything's amazing and my life is perfect and yep. look at these wonderful pictures <laughs> and yay, 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 you know. And so then when you're having a really crap day or had something really bad happens to you, it's, it's even easier to be like, okay, I'm by myself, or I'm, I, I need to be happy, and how do I get happy? And I mean, we can't be happy 100% of the time, otherwise we wouldn't even be able to identify it as happiness. We wouldn't even know and recognize mm-hmm. that. It'd just be all neutral. So we have to have something to compare it to. There has to be an ebb and a flow. And so it's okay to feel like junk. It's all right to sit in that. And I think that's an awesome time after that first initial shock to like address like where is this coming from do i feel shame why do i feel shame what makes me feel shameful about me being sexually active and and contracting something that is almost inevitable that the vast majority of people who are sexually active will contract not necessarily just herpes but any sti whatsoever so what makes me so bothered by that and concerned am i worried about how future partners are going to perceive me and why does that all of a sudden why is that now the new context? Like, am I forgetting about all that I have to offer? And, you know, you can kind of really take a deep dive internally and say, where is this coming from? And then do I want to, do I still, am I going to feel crappy for a few more days or weeks or whatever? And that's all right. And it's okay to just be in a place and feel a certain kind of way. And, and then say, like, I think at that point in time, then you are your own strongest and best advocate. Like, I'll advocate for you and there are the other activists who are doing this kind of work. But you as an individual researching for yourself, origin of stigma, information just about the facts and the infection and risk and stuff, and arming yourself with that education is power so that you can move forward and that you can, if you do end up disclosing to a new partner the next time you have a new partner, you can feel ready to provide them with factual, this kind of baseline, not a massive amount of emotional like approach to it, like this is just situation and so let's talk about it from a practical perspective and move forward and so I guess that helps people that whole like educating and doing the research and, and acknowledging and just being patient that's I think those are the best things that I can say for someone who was recently diagnosed you know you answered a lot of the questions before I could even ask them because one of my questions was asking if you felt like there was fulfillment with what you've been reaching out about in regards to education about STDs and STIs or if you felt like there was still so much more work to be done, but you already answered that. <laughs> There's a lot more work that needs yeah, to be done. Yeah, and it so. goes both ways. So much more. So much more work to be done. I mean, it goes both ways. And even, right, like even my social media, and I'm bad at this too, like when I'm not, when I am feeling a certain kind of way, like I don't necessarily share that because I'm just, I'm taking me time and I like step back and I'm not posting as often or whatever. Sometimes it's just because I'm busy and not posting as often, but sometimes I'm just having a crappy weekday, month, whatever. Mm-hmm. And like, it's all right. Even as an advocate, as an educator, you know, and I'm sure you guys get this too, because like, I feel like the work that I'm doing is similar to the work you're doing with your podcast and, and that it is, and it's emotional labor, you know, like it takes a lot of, um, of energy to put forth that whatever it is, messaging and tone that you want to put out into the world because you're trying to, you're trying to cultivate a new mindset or you're trying to improve mm-hmm. upon a mindset that's already there, you know, whatever the intention is and, and just further empower people and whatever. And that takes a lot of work. And so some days you just have to step back 
and take some like true hashtag self-care. I mean, you really do whatever Mm -hmm. that means and however that looks for you, you know, so I think that's okay. Even as educators and even as people like move through their process, like it's all right to, to take a moment, to take a beat, to take a pause and then come back full circle. And there have been times even in the last seven years where I haven't really done a whole lot of work, even in a period of like nine months to a year at a time where Mm -hmm. I'm really quiet, like online or I haven't put out a lot of new content and it's because I don't necessarily have that kind of energy for that direction and I just have to wait until I feel it again you know I mean Mm -hmm. that's again everything is an ebb and flow and sometimes going with it and embracing that and accepting it and for where you are and where you are at the time I think is probably the best thing you can do you know yes ma'am I I can relate to that totally because I've had to take breaks from the podcast as well you know I totally believe in the whole power of energy and just uh, regenerating that, moving into the positive direction that you're trying to do. Mm -hmm. We actually love the direction that you are taking with the STD Project and the Herpes Activist Network, where we admired, uh, you know, looking onto your site and what you've accomplished. Um, We really admire what you're doing, and we thank you again for coming onto the show with us. That means a lot to us. Yes, we greatly greatly appreciate, like I said, everything you've been doing. And like I said, even with this, you still educated us just a little bit more. And, you know, and we're, we're able to, you know, help advocate for it on our side. You know, we'll definitely, you know, if we come across anybody, we'll definitely have them reach out to you as well. And, you know, with the information you provided for us, like I said, keeps us in the know. And we're definitely going to help you join the fight and make sure that we, we um, don't let the stereotypes get too far ahead. So not to give it too much more work for you because like I said you already said you have a lot of work to do and we'll do what we can to make sure that we help with that as well I appreciate it I appreciate the time and you sharing your audience with me I think that's wonderful like you guys ended up ended up yourselves in that and having this conversation and have helped other people and so that means so much to the folks your audience who is who's listening and as well as just to all of us who's doing this work it's wonderful so I appreciate you in return likewise oh thank you thank you hey everyone thank you for tuning into the hush podcast make sure to find us on podbean red dragons radio google play music itunes spotify iheart radio spreaker stitcher TuneIn, soundcloud thehushpodcast.com our facebook our instagram and our twitter page